that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a dark, sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you can not to cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The second reading is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, Right. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So, because you are lukewarm, sorry, I've missed a line there, I'll go backtrack. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can come be, become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. But those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <laughs> David, thank you so much. And, and, and again, good morning, everybody, but I said good morning already. Um, we're in week two of a preaching series through the last book of the Bible, a book called Revelation. Now, young people, I want to talk to you quickly. I, when I grew up, you got these little round discs called DVDs. <laughs> Anyone remember them? It's so ancient, but you know what was really cool about DVDs was when you got given a DVD, uh, 
especially you know if you're a collector of special movies. This week was Star Wars week, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah, 4th of May. Yes, absolutely. I didn't actually know there was an international Star Wars day, but it's the 4th of May. Um, you know, let's say you get your Star Wars DVD given to you. One of the cool things that the real super hot fans of Star Wars would do is they would love to go to the bonus features of the disc, right? And um, watch the extra stuff, the cool stuff that really would deepen their appreciation and admiration of the franchise and all that kind of stuff. Anybody watch bonus features on DVDs? Yeah, a lot of the rings. <laughs> Hardcore on you, that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, Revelation is a tricky book to get of the Bible. And what I want to do each week from now on, this week and another eight or so, we can look at the first five or seven minutes of each message. I want to spend on a bonus feature that takes us a bit deeper into it. Now, if you're new to church, if you're new to reading the Bible, uh, tune out for the next five minutes. Don't listen. Don't pay attention. Because what I don't want to happen is I don't want that your experience of the Christian faith or of the Bible to become so overwhelming and confusing and you sort of go, this is not for me. This is just too hard. <laughs> you know. But some of you might be really ready for this and really kind of would be helpful to do these little snippets each week, and over the weeks you kind of get a, a, a new degree of wow for what goes on here, and, and we try and close the gap so we really get into it. So that's what I want to do. Bonus feature for this week, and I'm breaking my rule, I'm, I've got slides <laughs> for this week. <laughs> uh, not for the sermon proper part, um, but for the big thing. Uh, we... Last week we read a passage in Daniel, and I didn't even go there. It was just too long, too confusing, so I thought I'd skip over it. But Revelation is a book that is steeped in the Old Testament part of the Bible. In fact, the Old Testament is quoted or alluded to over 500 times in Revelation. It's massive on the Old Testament. Paul, the apostle, in all of what he wrote in the New Testament, only quotes or touches on the Old Testament 200 times. And that's all, almost all the New Testament books, right? Revelation alone, 500. So if you want to get what goes on or what the dude who wrote Revelation was thinking about when he says some stuff, you've got to go and look in the Old Testament. And there's one book in the Old Testament that talks about, the Revelation talks about most of the time, and that's Daniel. Daniel is a guy who lived 600 years before Jesus, so probably 700 years before Revelation was written. And he, he writes in a very similar style to the Revelation. It's apocalyptic literature. We're going to do that in a bonus feature in later weeks, what that is and how it works and so forth. Okay? And here's what Daniel, he gets a vision of a son of man. Someone who's going to come, whom God's going to send, who's going to be the center pivotal figure of human history. Yes, it's Jesus. right? And, and in that visions that he receives, he says this in chapter 228 to the king Nebuchadnezzar, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown, he has revealed to king Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come, in the latter days. Okay? So God's doing something in Daniel. He's showing something that's going to take place sometime from now. Revelation starts, the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show, same Greek word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament as in Revelation, to show what must 
soon take place. Okay, catch the difference? Both, in both instances, God is showing something in Daniel what's going to take place way back in the future, or way down the future. In Revelation, God's going to show what must soon take place. What's the point? So what? point is that history is not random. All of what happens in the world is not random. For 600 years, God knew what he was doing. He knew there would be a son of man. And everything that happened in that 600 years, despite how random it may seem, pointless it may seem, confusing it may seem, and a lot happened in that 600 years, God was in control of every single one of those things as he played history out the way that he wanted it to be played out so that he can do what he wants to do. Our time in history is not random. What happens in your life is not random. It is connected to something that God is firmly in control of. And that's the beauty of understanding the connections, right? What once was soon to take place, uh, sorry, only then going to take place, now is taking place because God is moving on with his point of the cosmos, of human history, of the world. God is moving on, right? So that's the first Old Testament connection. The second one, I'll be very quick. I got David to read the vision of Christ again in chapter 1, verse 9. So that's in your Bible. Um, you know how Christ is described with eyes of flaming fire, feet of burnished bronze, head of hair, a voice of sound of waters. He holds seven stars in his hands. A sharp-edged sword comes out of his mouth. His, faith, his face is like the sun shining. <laughs> to us, that's weird. We'll get into the weirdness later for today. Almost all of them, or at least a good majority of those features of Jesus, is connected to stuff in the Old Testament. Son of Man comes up in Daniel. His head and hair in Daniel 7 verse 9, which is sort of bright. God is described as one with bright white uh, uh, head and hair. Um, the voice sounding like waters in Ezra. Um, God is the one described that as when God speaks, it sounds like the sound of rushing waters, might, power, sovereignty, authority. A sharp double-edged sword is that of a judge, the image of a righteous judge. I watched the coronation last night, and uh, you know that sword scene was just kind of really cool. Um, the, the, the idea that this son of man will be the judge of all of human history. Uh, his face, yeah, like the sun shining... Uh, is like a warrior who is victorious. Okay, what's the point of all of that sort of stuff? A lot of what's said in the Old Testament about God himself, who he is, and his authority and sovereignty and power, here is applied directly to the resurrected Christ. He is king, reigning sovereign over all. And unless you kind of connect that back to that Old Testament majesty and splendor, you, you sort of fall short a little bit of understanding just how big a deal the one who is described in that vision actually is. He's the one who speaks <laughs> to his church, who stands among the lampstands and tends to them. So grand and lavish is he. Okay? So that's your Bonus feature for 
this Sunday. We can get out of that section and we can navigate back to <laughs> play the movie, resume the movie. So young people, others, you know, I don't know. When you, say to someone, when you say to someone, switch out, that's when they switch in. And now I'm saying, switch in. <laughs> Maybe now you'll switch out <laughs> for the rest of the message. But now, tune back in, because we're going to talk about, uh, really today, chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. Because this Jesus, exalted figure that's described there, he now speaks a message to each of the seven churches in these chapters. Okay? And these messages are fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. They form kind of a, a structure. You know when you say certain things, like when you write your wife a text message. It has a set structure you should follow. You should say, my dearly beloved wife, I think of you all the time. How is your day? How are the kids? And what time will dinner be tonight? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you don't just say, when's dinner? Right? There's a you need, to, you, need to, um, you need to follow the pattern, the structure of how this thing should be done. Right? Um, these letters each have a sort of a structure, right? Um, Ryan, can I get that slide up as well, please? Break the rule again. Um, these seven letters each have a structure. They, they start out with, to the angel, which we'll talk more about later. There's a spiritual dimension to each of these churches, right? Jesus is described early on, something about Jesus when he speaks. And often how he's described is, is with something that was mentioned in that great vision we just talked through. Something about these things here is how he's described. And interestingly, it's usually an aspect of that 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 church needs to hear or remember or be reminded of, right? Then it starts with, uh, it goes on to... Uh, I know. Thumbs up. Here's what you're doing well. Here's what I want to celebrate about you, right? And then he goes to, yet, here's some, nah. Here's what you're not doing so well. And some of that stuff's brutal. Sounds brutal to us. Very direct. Then it finishes with, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. In other words, take this very seriously. And then there's a promise. And so, these are the seven churches, right, that we're depicting here. And I hope this one lasts the day. I'm not so sure. Um, uh, it's either, look up for us, maybe, Thyatira or Pergamum or... <laughs> Although, in actual fact, I'm going to go through. This might be useful. I didn't plan this, but this is useful. Uh, these two... No, they're stuck on there. I can't take them off. Churches number two and six, Smyrna and Philadelphia. They're weak. They're down. 
they're out. They're the two we know for a fact faced heavy persecution. People have been brutally murdered for their belief in Jesus. Horrible scenes of how that was done. They're weak, they're poor, and to them Jesus comes and he gives no negatives. He literally just comes and he, he does the embrace. And he says, you know what? Hold on. <laughs> Endure. I am with you. And he highlights some aspects of who we used to them and he encourages them. You know, and that may be, it may be you today. There's no need or help for you other than to be encouraged by Jesus. Uh, in the middle of three churches, you get there's a positive, there's a negative for each on that score. And they're not the same positives and negatives. And then you get to Ephesus and Laodicea. Ephesus has some positives, although there's quite a strong negative. They're really not looking so good. And Laodicea is just negatives. <laughs> it's just really strong rebukes. That's the last one we read. And you know what I want us to see about this? The point of this big picture thing is, is, is I love how Jesus knows his churches. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows who to encourage and to love and to, and to, and to be the, 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 I just want to say, the warm, soft love. He knows who to say what positives, what exact positives and what challenges. He also knows who to be just downright stern with. It's who Jesus is. It's how Jesus loves how he wants to love you. There's no generic, all of you are like this, right? What a beautiful intimacy, I think, we see in how that pans out over the seven churches. But I had to make the call, what do we do today? I thought, well, we're definitely not looking at all seven today. I encourage you to read them. I thought I'd look at two, but then I went down to one for the sake of time. I thought not to do the two struggling, suffering, persecuted churches because, don't get me wrong, I think it's getting harder and harder and more challenging to be a Christian in Australia on the 7th of May, 2023, and we need to be mindful of that, the cost at which it comes, but I'm not quite sure whether we're persecuted yet. I think we're not there yet, and our brothers and sisters who literally are paying with their blood for their faith they need to hear this message. So, so let's not do them. The middle churches, positive and negatives, some of what Jesus says to them comes out later in Revelation. I think we're going to get there. So I thought, let's leave them for later. Ephesus, Laodicea. I wanted to go Laodicea because it's such a, such a powerful message for us living in a Western, relatively affluent society. They very much are us. <laughs> Lukewarm, wealthy, um, yeah, like many of us. So, well worth spending time on it, but we won't get into that today. We'll work with Ephesus, the first one. Okay, that's what I want us to do. So now I want you to look to your little sheet or in your Bible. Let's, um, let's, let's just devotion our way through this and then we'll pray. Just yell out to me as you look in your Bible, verses 2, 3, and 6. What are they doing well in? What are the thumbs up they, Jesus gives them? Just shout it out. 
persevering. They are hanging in there. They are knuckling down church. They don't, they're not deterred. When they get tired, they push on. Don't stop. Hard work. Absolutely. Uh, not afraid to roll up their sleeves, get stuck in, work the long hours. Get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Don't tolerate wicked men. Really take seriously how God says we should live and doing the right thing. Holy living, saying it matters how you live. It's very important. And we're not going to tolerate uh, unholiness. This, this is a big deal for us. Yes. Yeah. Anything else? Sorry, Tom? Tested people? Yeah, sure. So, so for false teaching, yeah? is that what you're thinking? So to go, there is some such a thing as truth and error and, and, and the Christian message can be corrupted and changed and watered down and weakened. It's important to make sure that we teach a gospel and a truth about Jesus that is true, that is sound, that is not watered down. You have this thing about the Nicolaitans that come out. They go, you detested their teaching. Who are they? What did they do? Well, they, they most likely were a bunch of people. They come up in other churches too. And we were in Ephesus, right? Ephesus in the Roman Empire was a great center of uh, the worship of Artemis, or, or in Greek terms, Diana, I think it was. They're the, the god of fertility. We touched on this last week. So you know what was big in Ephesus? Sex. Massive state-sanctioned prostitution. It is, it's it's hair-raisingly horrifying to conceive of what life was like there. And if you wanted a job, if you wanted to be part of society, if you wanted to have any meaningful existence in Ephesus, you would ritually go to the temple and you would, either by way of witnessing or by way of participating, participate in the cult of fertility. And it was rampant and rife. And for a Christian to say no to that meant that you were not just sort of odd one out. You know, it meant for you that you lost a job. It meant for you that you were utterly despised. And some people went, you know, as is our want to go, you know what, maybe it's not all that bad. Maybe I can kind of go along with these things, you know, because, I don't know, God doesn't want me to be out of a job. I mean... Right? I don't know what the Nicolaitans said, but whatever it was, it boiled down to a compromise. And, and the Ephesians are going, no, 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 no. There's no compromise on this. When it comes, it's a bit speculative, but we most likely this is what was with the Nicolaitans. When it comes to sex and sexuality, this is how God wants us to live, and this is how we're going to live. We're not compromising. Right? And he goes, yes, Jesus goes, good on you. Well done. You know, hard work, you're resisting, you're making sure that it's true and sound and all those things. That's the positive, right? Now, let's get to the thumbs down. Verse 4 and 5. Yell out to me. What, what, what does he say? So, okay, this is, that's good. This is not good. Yeah. Forsaken the love you had at first. Yeah. Consider how far you've fallen, presumably in terms of love. Repent. Do the things you did at first. Now, that's, for me, a fascinating question. What does that mean? 
When he says you've lost your love, your first love, what does Jesus have in mind? What does he want from them? Right? <laughs> We're on the movies today. We've had Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. One of my favourites is... Um, last slide, Ryan, thank you. If you can pull him up. Uh, what is that from? Anyone know? Fiddler on the Roof. How good is it? Fiddler on the Roof is the, one of my favourite movies. It's a musical. Um, you, you should get the DVD, kids. Uh, it's really worth watching, you know. VHS, yeah, the square tape. Are you from out of space, man? Um, yeah. Uh, Tevia is the guy, Goldie's wife, and one of the great themes of the movie is what is love. This is in marriage, right? So relationship with God's a bit different. But, but, you know, he has daughters and he wants to maintain his cultural traditions in which they arrange marriages within the community. It's tight. You don't, there's no place for romance or anything like that. Tevia and his wife, Golda, met each other on their wedding day and they kind of... Uh, his daughters want to break out of this whole cultural thing and they start marrying people who they never... The parents never would have approved of and the community wouldn't. It's wanting to marry for love as an experiential thing. Um, romance... Um, agency for them to choose who they want to marry, but, but really love becomes more this kind of thing that is experienced, right? Versus their parents for Golda and Tevye, love that is based around a choice in what I do for you. So that great scene where Tevye asks Golda, I can't sing it, I wish I could. <laughs> do you love me? <laughs> and, he, and she keeps giving him answers but his question is but do you love me and she says for 25 years I've lived with him fought with him starved with him my bed is his but I've cooked your meals for you but do you love me <laughs> and then she says if that's not love what is but, and, so, and so here's the tension they sit within their beautiful village Anatevka what is love is it is it an experiential thing? Is it tied to action and deeds, things that I do? You could, you could approach it that way. Do we want to bring that to what Jesus says to the Ephesians? What does he want from us in loving him? Can I suggest to you that it's something of both that he wants from us? Love the letter to the Ephesians, written by Paul, not by John, but it, it gives us a lot of insight into who they were. Remember the great prayers that Paul prays for them? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know and that no is not no here. That no is, no, I kind of, in a deep spiritual sense, experience the hope that you have in Christ. I pray that he may enlighten your heart, that you may grasp. That word is fascinating. Grasp. <laughs> How wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. There's something about the love of Christ that, that must be 
real in us, um, that must be in some way experienced by us, touching us. And, and Paul is similar in Romans when he talks, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? By His Spirit we cry out, Abba, Dad, Father. The other night I was in the backyard and uh, Marty and I were there and I've had this practice with him that when we get to a special moment, I don't know, hiking, adventuring on a cliff or whatever, rarely, I say to him, you know, let's, let's pray, mate. And we'd pray and we'd, we'd hug. And um, I get emotional when I tell this, but he, on that night he, uh, we just, we're just in the backyard and he just turned around at some said he came to me. I wasn't actually all that spiritual that night. I just wanted to get out of the house and a bit of peace and quiet. But he came to me and he said, oh, Dad, Let's pray. And he prayed. And then he turned around and he said to me, Dad, I love you. You know, that's Abba. It's love. It's in that moment, and that doesn't mark all of our relationship, but there are those moments at least where there is, I love you. <laughs> and, and nothing for a parent, mothers, daughters, fathers, Touches that. Or friends, or if parenting is a difficult area for you, whoever it is in your life who you are closest to respect most as a parent figure, you know that that moment is deep and it's experiential. And I, and I think there's something about this that Jesus gets at for these Ephesians. He, he, at this point, he's not asking them, do you believe in God? He's not asking, do you believe that God is good? He's not asking them, what do you believe is right? He's asking, do you love me? Love. Right? Now, I don't know where that's at for you, whether you'd say on a scale of 1 to 10, do you love God? Do you say it's a 1 or a 2? If all is stripped away of church and religion, can you say, all that's left is love. Yes, I love God. I love him. I want to be with him because I love him. I do what I do for church because I love him. I'm involved in whatever it is that we sang this morning because I love him. How much does that describe your motivation for your Christian life? We can gauge ourselves. I think we should gauge ourselves and ask ourselves. How do I grow in love? How do I raise that? Okay, that's the first thing from, from the negative of Ephesus. But you see, it's not just an experience because, fascinatingly, Jesus says, you've forsaken the love you had at first, consider how far you've fallen, repent and do what you have done at first. <laughs> that love, whatever it is, is connected to doing stuff. You see, old Golda is not all that far off the mark in saying, I've done all this stuff for you for 25 years. If that's not love, what is? She's a bit right. <laughs> there is a connection to doing stuff where, as, as, an, as proof or an outflow of love. Now, we're in Ephesus, right? This is massive scale of prostitution, right? Before... Contraception, let's be honest. What have you got a lot of? 
Babies. Scores of them. And what, is, what happens in the wonderful world of Lord Caesar that he is creating in the Roman Empire, what, is, what happens with babies that are unwanted and poor women? I can think of what it was like for women in that day. What do we do with babies? Well, what we can't have and we can't do. Well, we take them outside the city and there's a spot there. Not the, not the, I've been to Ephesus in the city. It's a great city. And it was really sobering to think about this while you're there. I don't know where the exact spot was, but uh, historical sources, non-Christian historical sources, mind you, tell us of the spot where these babies were left. Even there, and that's it. And what these incredible people did is they went and picked them up and brought them home, raised them, loved them. I can only imagine what a church like that must be like at 95 AD when they received this, maybe. How many people in that church came from that place? <laughs> Loved in the name of Jesus. It's astonishing. And I don't know if, if perhaps, I mean, we're, we are speculating. We know the Ephesian Christians did this, but is that perhaps what Jesus has in mind? And he says, hey, maybe that stopped. Maybe for some reason they stopped doing that. Did they maybe become so preoccupied with fighting the Nicolaitans <laughs> about what's right and right teaching and right doctrine and that became such a focus of their energy that in the flow of all that they started to lose this. This didn't happen anymore, right? And I, and I just wonder if for us, I'm going to apply this first to a church as a whole and then to us as individuals and then we'll finish. Um, this is such a constant risk for us. When I got here six years ago, one of the greatest things I loved about Pathway was our bus ministry. Love the bus ministry. <laughs> and I love the fact that today so many people have become part of the family of Jesus in this room through the bus ministry. You know, the bus ministry where we uh, picked a bunch of people up brought them to church and loved them, loving those who don't know Jesus, the vulnerable, in whatever way vulnerable. Yeah? That was what the bus was really about. And what was great about that was that um, everybody was kind of involved in <laughs> extending that love, whether you drove the bus or were a volunteer on the bus or the person ringing the people before the bus, uh, to a degree the bus company was involved, uh, when you came here, buddies were involved. Even if you didn't really want to be involved, you got to know the people. Pathway Kids leaders were involved. People who were making breakfast in the kitchen were involved. Everybody was involved in loving in this way. And now we have, out of that, rightly, grown you know, a lot of ministry and fruitfulness in East Devonport through Pathway Shed, through what we're going to think through for church planting. And I just wonder if we need to be mindful that is it possible that now, actually, fewer people are involved <laughs> in loving? Whereas it was kind of all, some stage, now it's fewer, right? If you have directly anything to do with Pathway Shared Church Planning East Devonport. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not criticising what we're doing. Not at all. 
But I am saying that in the midst of growth and fruitfulness in missions and evangelism, there is always the risk, as Ephesus proves to us, that we, we actually become less loving than more loving, or less of us are loving fewer people who don't know Jesus. <laughs> Whatever it is we do, more of us need to be loving more people who do not know Jesus. And that's something for us as a church, I think, to be mindful of as we keep thinking through where God's leading us. Whatever it is we're doing, this love thing and acts of love need to be growing. More people who call Pathway their church need to be actively loving more people who do not know Jesus. Whatever it is that we do, I think that's the thing that Jesus would ask us, right? Same deal goes for when we think about, uh, we, we announced we're forming a working group to think about what a new church in East Devonport might look like. There are a lot of questions before that group, such as, you know, uh, how do we go about doing this well? How is it done properly in good process? How do we ensure this is doctrinally uh, sound and we're teaching the right thing and all that sort of stuff? It's possible that we spend so much energy on that that in the process we forget to actually love the people, spend time with the people be actually actively engaged with who it is that we're meant to love. The risk is there. Again, I'm not dissing doing things right because Jesus isn't saying to the Ephesians, hey, you shouldn't worry about holding up a pure gospel. He praises them. But it's what you must not forget in the meantime. As you do that, the love needs to grow, needs to increase. And the same is true for you in your life as an individual. Is your love increasing for those who don't know Jesus? The vulnerable. Is the time spent with those who are far from Jesus a priority? Are you praying for at least someone or some people who are far from Jesus? Is your life moving to increase in doing the things that Jesus would have us do, particularly for the vulnerable, particularly for those who don't know Jesus, is the light increasing in the way you live your life? That's the, that's the sobering question that the loving Lord Jesus brings to Ephesus. And I think to us. Let's wrap up. How serious is this? I don't know. Jesus is pretty serious in verse 5 and 7. He says, if you don't grow in these things, I will come to you. <laughs> and this isn't the second coming. This is a different coming. <laughs> I'll come to you and I'll, I'll do this. Take it out. There won't be a pathway. <laughs> I think it's as if he's saying, there shouldn't be a pathway. And I think he's saying, this shouldn't be a you. What's your purpose? This is really with the Laodiceans. If you're not, your life is not witnessing to the Lord Jesus, but spending other stuff, I think his, his, his sobering thought is, what good are you to me? Very stern, very sobering, and, and, and I feel very confronted by that at a deep level. He, he says, uh, in terms of removing the light stand, you know, uh, to those who do this, you will eat from the tree of life. 
you will end up in the new heavens and the new earth. <laughs> don't get me wrong, we're not earning our ticket into that place, but it's faith that earns our tickets into that place. But if your faith is real, you will grow in these things. That's, that's, that'll prove the value and truth of your faith. This is what Jesus is going for. And obviously, it's worth ending there. It's worth on that day having lived a life that shone the light into dark places as a priority for a church, for an individual. And then the last question I want to ask is how do we do this? You know, usually, I, I'm not going into details here um, because it's impossible to go into details. Each of us is in a different place in life, different circumstances. Some are down and out, do not need to be kicked today. Others have different mixes of pros and cons and what you've got going for you, right? But the only thing that Jesus brilliantly gives us is he says, I want you to grow in your love for me and for other people. How do you grow? Jesus, grow me, please. Be honest with him. I'm a one or a two. I don't know if I really love you. Can you teach me what it's like to love you more? I do love you, but I'm really always worried about doing the right thing and living a religious life. I don't want to get into loving people who don't know you. What does that look like? Can you show me, teach me? And he will. And so that's the prayer I ask that you would pray wherever you're at today. And I don't want to pray it right now on behalf of all of us as a church. So please join me as I pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, um, we would like to love you. <laughs> I think we would. I, I think I can say that. But Lord, we know there are so many other things that we that compete for our love in life. To varying degrees, we fall short. To varying degrees, we... We don't love you as much as we may want to. Oh, but Lord, would you please grow us? Would you please let your Holy Spirit do his powerful and glorious and wonderful work in us? Would you grant us a joyful experience of what it's like to just love you, God, just out of pure joy, just because... It's because we love you. Would you show us what it could look like, maybe just as a next step for each of us, whether we are at an eight and wanting to go to a nine, or a one wanting to go to a two, what it looks like to love someone else who does not know Jesus, who is vulnerable, who needs your love. Fill us with your love. Raise our temperature in your grace and your mercy. And from that, Lord, may we get the details. Father, I pray for Pathway Church. You know us. Well, you know us better than we know ourselves, Lord Jesus. You know what we're good at. You also know what we're not good at. And in those areas, Lord, uh, in the right places and the right groups and the right prayers and the right conversations, would you shape us <laughs> into how you want us to be? Lord, would you brighten our lamp. Would you fill us as a church with great love?
for you together and for those to whom you're sending us. Who are they, Lord? What can we do? What must we do? And how should we do it? We ask and we pray with gratitude that we know you're listening and you will answer this prayer because you love us. And we thank you for your great love. Amen. Okay, thank you. I'm going to invite... um,